Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned-out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, editorial director, here with Mara Levinsky, senior editor. Hi, everyone. Mara, big news out of CBS. Don Diamond, who has played Bold and Beautiful's Bill since 2009, is returning to Young and the Restless, where he had had a 20-year run as Brad Carlton as part of the crossover story between the two soaps. Now, I spoke to Don at length for an interview in the new issue, and he told me that, you know, he had a mixed reaction to getting the call to return to Genoa City. Um, he explained to me that Wayanara had meant so much to him for so many years, and his unceremonious exit, my words, was a shock to him and hurtful. So the idea of coming back there caused him to reflect on, you know, everything that went down. Um, ultimately, though, he realized that leaving YNR was one of the best things that ever happened to him because Brad Bell ended up creating the role of Bill for him. And then he got, you know, kind of on board and excited about it. Um, you know, it was a really interesting chat, and I am definitely looking forward to seeing Bill on YNR. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. And I will eat up any inside jokes about his time as Brad or him looking like Brad that happened to get sprinkled into this, uh, the scripts. I mean, enough time has passed that maybe it would go without mention, but I'm hoping that they do take the chance to uh, include some winks to all of his years on YNR. Uh, and I appreciate uh, that in his interview with you, Don was so candid about having hurt feelings about how his dismissal from YNR went down. You know, um, as much as actors, uh, I think, intellectually understand that these kinds of decisions have to be made for all sorts of reasons that have nothing to do with the quality of an actor's work. I think you would have to be almost Buddha-like not to feel some kind of way when you've been a part of a cast for as long as Don was on YNR and then you're killed off. You know, I've spoken to many actors over the years who were in that boat and found it equally painful. And it doesn't work out as beautifully as it worked out for Don in a lot of instances, you know, because Don not only landed on his feet, but I think it's fair to say has totally thrived on a whole new level as Bill. You know, he came onto that show guns a blazing and has been such a key character ever since. It's hard to imagine the trajectory of B&B &B over the last 12 years without him and, of course, his character's sons, Liam and Wyatt. Uh, but I think this is a really, like, lovely full circle moment for him and for fans of both shows. 
Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I was such a big fan of YNR in the 80s when he first joined. So it's almost strange to think that I barely think of Brad anymore because Bill is just so dominant on B&B as a character. Now, this issue is also our February preview issue, and there is a lot to unpack there. I mean, the shows are really pulling out all the stops based on what the head writers outline for us. So on Bold and Beautiful, the paternity test results on Steffi's baby will dictate everyone's fate, and Carter will learn the truth about Zoe and Zenday. Over at Days, a shocking murder will rock Salem, Allison Sweeney will return as Sammy, and Laura Horton will come to town with some very key information about Jack and Gwen. Uh, General Hospital, a double wedding of Anna and Finn, and Peter and Maxie may prove to be double trouble, and Franco's condition will get worse. And on Young and the Restless, Adam and Sharon's bond will be exposed in a very public way. Um, so I don't really know what that means. I don't know if we're going to see like Adam and Sharon get together, but I mean, she just married Ray. So I'm going to hold off on judging too early, but I mean, come on. I feel like there's so many other marriages that are on the rocks like that because of cheating. I mean, what is happening? You know, we saw Liam cheat on Hope, Chad cheat on Abigail, Ned cheat on Olivia. Then we have the people who are just dating cheating, like Steffi cheating on Finn and Elena cheating on Nate. You know, it just suddenly feels like a lot. I actually love a well-told cheating story. You know, I think inherently it's a relationship conflict that has like so much potential to mine for huge drama, whether or not it leads to like a paternity who's the baby moment. Um, but of course it takes finesse to tell well. You know, when you've got a well-established and beloved couple and one of them strays, the setup has to be plausible. Otherwise, it just screams, you know, plot over character. And when that happens, you've lost me as a viewer. Um, it's just so hard to invest when, like, the infrastructure of a pairing is undermined for the sake of one of them cheating for storyline purposes, as opposed to the storyline circumstances unfolding in such a way that you can understand how the trust was breached, you know, in this way. Um, Maybe the most glaring example of that was on GH when over the course of what seemed like a day in poor Charles' time, Dante ended up in bed with Valerie because he thought Lulu slept with Dylan. That was just kind of ruinous to the characters involved. Uh, but by contrast, I think GH took its time to show some cracks in the marriage of Ned and Olivia. They hadn't been on the best of terms when she took off for Switzerland to see Dante, and Ned was already sort of wary of her growing friendship with Robert. So I think it was a lot more palatable to buy that when he found out they were sharing a hotel room, he jumped to the wrong conclusion and drowned his sorrows with Alexis and one thing led to another. Um, now, to your point, the ink is barely dry on Sharon's marriage certificate. So even though her connection with Adam obviously predates her even meeting Ray and they have a marriage of their own under their belts, uh, and to say their connection is exposed isn't the same as saying either of them cheat, but I definitely share your curiosity about how uh, YNR is going to approach this Adam and Sharon beat. I mean, you know, I don't mind an infidelity tale. I prefer stories that are more grounded in reality, actually, and certainly that is one of them. What I do mind is that I feel soaps do have this larger-than-life romantic ideal, so when there are so many happening at once, you know, it could kind of be a little depressing. <laughs> um, but it does yield great drama on camera, like what we're seeing now on days with Gwen and Abigail and Chad. And our guest today is part of that story. It's Emily O'Brien, who is doing amazing work as Gwen and has a lot going Going on, so let's see how it's all going. Hi, Emily. Hello. <laughs> how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. 
good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. I thought it was the perfect time to talk to you because of everything that's going on with Gwen. Yes. <laughs> but let's start with Emily. Um, so you were born in England and spent the first decade of your life there. So tell us about your childhood. Um, okay. So... Yeah, my so my mother is Middle Eastern uh, from Iran, and uh, my dad had met her in 1978, and they had to leave because of the revolution. He was working on oil rigs in Iran, and he said, come to England with me, and that is not at all where they pictured their life. We were actually supposed to go to Germany, and I would have been a German girl, <laughs> um, but that's where we stayed. And then um, we moved over to the States when I was in the sixth grade. And that was a very difficult transition for me um, <clears throat> because, you know, that's, that's like a very, those are formative years. I didn't know how to fit in. And um, I was still going back and forth a lot to England because my grandmother was alive at the time and she hadn't known that we had moved. Um, and it, my dad thinks that it would have, it would have just been too much for her to bear if she knew that we had left England. So there was a lot of going back to England, coming back to the States. Um, but I, we, we stayed through high school. And then after that, um, I started on Young and the Restless. <clears throat> it was almost 16 years ago and that was five years. And then I went back to England and then I studied and I, I studied in, in France for a while. So I'm just, I don't know. I, I've just kind of been, I haven't like had um, one single solid route. I guess the, the place where I would call home now is where my parents are, which is uh, down in the San Diego area. So I'm lucky that they're close to me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I hope that kind of <laughs> gave you a very broad answer there on kind of everything, not just my childhood. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, where, where I was born isn't that interesting. I was born in... Um, a town called uh, Bedfordshire. It was a lake uh, about 45 minutes north of London. Uh, there's the Luton Airport. Some people know that. Uh, it's not, not the nicest place to grow up. Um, but, you know, still got friends and family there. So we try and go back every, every year. Uh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say about my childhood, really. Um, well, I'm curious to know how your family settled on California, which is obviously literally around the world from where they had been living. Yeah. So uh, my mother has a very, very big family. They, when they left Iran in 1978, they kind of split. So they went to, some came to England with us, some went to Israel, and the rest came to, to San Diego and LA. And so... At that point, it was a decision between um, staying in England, going to Canada, which was where my dad was applying for work, or California, and he got the job in California. So that's where we, we ended up um, staying. Yeah, we went to San Diego at first. So what was that like? Was it culture shock for you to move from England to California? Complete, complete culture shock. Um, Especially when you're in sixth grade, you know, I had this very, I, uh, my, my dialect was a bit more like this. It was a bit different to how Gwen speaks on the show. So this is how I was born. And, you know, coming to the States as a kid, kids just want to make fun of you. So uh, 
they would like run around and chase me and say, say marker, say marker. And I'd say marker and they'd laugh at me or, you know, I'd get, I'd, I'd get teased a lot. I didn't make many friends. It was difficult. Uh, my sister didn't have as hard of a time because she was younger than me. Um, but then eventually I kind of, as I got older, uh, started realizing where I fit in. And that was, um, in the, the theater group, like the theater classes. So I started auditioning for plays and things like that. And that's where I was accepted. Where all the weirdos go, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how did you end up, you know, discovering uh, your place there? Like what was the first inspiration to get involved in theater? Um, oh, it's weird. My, my earliest memory is when I was in England, they used to have these puppet shows at the Dunstable Market by my house, um, like on Saturday afternoons or something. And my parents would take me, like my dad would sit with me during the, this puppet. And it was like a big thing in a theater with lots of people. My mother would shop while me and my dad would watch the puppet show. And I remember being amazed because these guys would be on stage singing and they'd have puppets on their head, kind of like Avenue Q. Uh -huh. Yeah. If you're familiar with the way they do that show. And I thought, how are these people up here acting and singing and dancing and memorizing all these lines and they're in costumes and they have these puppets. So I became like obsessed with the idea and I started making my own puppets with socks and practicing at home. Um, yeah, I don't know. That, that's like the earliest kind of memory I have. And then um, I remember one of my teachers and it, when I was still in England as well caught on and she would let me skip, um, you know, like half an hour before class was over. She would let me gather a few of my friends to write a quick skit or a quick play. And one was like about King Tutankhamen because we were studying that at the time, King Tut and Egypt. And I wrote this quick little 10 minute skit with everybody and she let me perform it. And then next thing I knew, like Ward was going around the school and they, they wanted to put me in the, the princess and the pea. And then b before I knew I was acting <laughs> at a young age, but for me, it was just so much fun. Um, I don't think I really thought about it seriously until, <sighs> until high school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, you mentioned that you joined Young and the Restless when you were 20. So tell us your casting story. Oh, gosh. That's funny, actually. Um, I knew nothing about soaps. And I remember the very first, I auditioned for Young and the Restless twice. And the very, very first time I auditioned, I auditioned to the one and only wonderful Marnie Seisha. And I had absolutely no clue what the heck I was doing. And I didn't know I had to be completely off book and memorized. Uh, she, I go in the room, she's completely off book. And that made me so nervous. It threw me off. And um, I completely messed the audition up because I thought, oh my goodness, the casting director's knows all the lines and here I am, I'm still reading off the page and I look horrible right now. And it was just a, not a very good audition at all. And she, she gave me very sage advice and she said, listen, if, if you come in here again, 
you're going to have to be memorized because the way that this show works is so fast. You have to know how to be off book and be ready for anything. If, if, if we give you lines or changes or whatever. And uh, it was the best advice I got. I did not get the part. And um, I went home kind of with my tail between my legs because I was so embarrassed. And then I think it was a couple months later, I went in and read again, this time for a different casting director. I believe her name was Beverly um, at Young and the Restless. This time I was completely prepared. Off book, I was ready for it. And that was for the role of a character named Jade. And all I knew was that they were going to set her up with Kevin. It was just supposed to be one or two episodes. And she said, um, you know, uh, I see that you're English. Could you maybe come back at three and read for the producers with your dialect instead? And I said, sure. So I did. And then they changed the name from Jade to Jana. And that's how she was born. And then my five lines turned into five days and then five days to five weeks, which turned into five years. So (laughs) I'm so grateful for that. Long time ago, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you remember about, you know, coming in your first um, gig of that nature? You're under contract, you're working all the time and the workload (laughs) is so intense. Uh, What was that like for you? Yeah. um, God. The one memory that that kind of shines for me, I shouldn't say shines, it's just funny. Uh, I was extremely nervous. And Greg, he was so dear. He kind of took me under his wing and he he kind of, you know, told me how things go and how quickly things move. But I remember because I was fresh off the stage, that was all I knew, really. I'd done like a couple student films and things like that. They had to keep telling me to talk quieter because I was projecting, (laughs) (laughs) always projecting my scenes and my lines. And uh, they they had to kind of tell me, Emily, you've got a microphone right there. So, you know, you don't need to, (laughs) you don't need to speak so loudly. Um, Yeah. So that was, that was an adjustment and just the, the pace. And back then, I mean, things were, things moved slower than they do now. We had lots of time for blocking and rehearsals and, and to kind of, you know, rehearse with the actors and in dressing rooms. And, and now there's none of that. So when I came to days, I I mean, I tell everybody this, I don't remember my first day. I think I blacked out because it was just, oh, it was, it was, it was like the whole day. I, I just, I had prepared and prepared and we get up there and then we, we shoot everything in a matter of 40 minutes. And I almost fell over because I just couldn't believe that we'd gotten all the lines out so quickly. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like, okay, someone's got to just trust me and I have to trust myself and whatever happens happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, when you were in Young and the Restless, who did you hang out with? Did you make any friends in the cast that, or did anyone stand out who helped you in those early years? Yeah, definitely Greg. Um, I remember Tracy also, she took me out to lunch one day and, and I had confided in her about things going on in my life. And she was always so warm and wonderful. The same with, um, I became very close with that whole Baldwin Fisher family, um, Christian, 
actually Christian and I still speak from time to time and Judith Chapman and, um, and then yeah, Adrian Franz, I remember and Grazaday. Uh, yeah, it was a great time. It was great. We were all, you know, I was in my twenties and, and I felt so new to, to daytime and, and, and it was, it was a wonderful, time in my life. It was, I felt so blessed to be there and meet these, these wonderful people and play this very unique role. She, Jana was so different to everybody else on that show. And um, I liked it. I felt very comfortable playing this outcast. So uh, yeah, I, I felt very fortunate to be there for five years. You ever miss the streaks of color in your hair? <laughs> uh yeah sure not so much but you know sometimes they, they, those were fun they used to just clip them in every day uh, I still have them actually I have a couple of the purple and red pieces they let me keep them <laughs> <laughs> that's a good memento oh yeah definitely imagine if they let Gwen wear them from time to time that'd be nice, <laughs> that'd be nice. she can she can battle uh Kate for the mm -hmm. uh, hair um, Try and win Jake back with blue hair. <laughs> yeah. When all else fails, clip it. Exactly. That's right. Um, what would you consider the highlights of your run at YNR? You know, I think towards the end, personally, um, I felt very connected to that material where she was starting to kind of lose control of herself and. Um, see Kevin slipping away from her and gravitating towards Chloe and just that that threat that she felt kind of you know sort of made her go off off the deep end that gave me so much to play with and um uh they really let they gave me so much leniency on what I could do as the actor and how to to uh play her they let me go as far as I wanted um it was a very good like ex explorative, if you will, side for me, something I hadn't really played before. Um, and then um, I guess I remember going through a phase where they put me in all these like period piece outfits and um, she went through this very eclectic stage in her life and she got married in the ashram that whole time period was so much, so colorful and so fun. And I was in this storyline with um, uh, Graz and, and Adrian. It was like we were this foursome couple wreaking havoc in, in the world. Yeah. Um, gosh, it was so long ago. I don't really remember much else, to be honest. It was all Those wonderful. are some good standouts, though. That's for sure. Yeah. So when you when you did exit and your time there came to an end, do you recall like were you upset or were you kind of ready to to move on? Because to that point, that had really been the bulk of your professional experience. Yes, um, I remember exactly where I was. I was on a run, and my agent called me and said, "Yeah, so listen, they're they're killing you off." And and at first, I felt I felt total. Uh, I was very upset. Um, and then after I let it digest, like I went on running and I kind of sweat out my anger a little bit and I thought, you know what, this is meant to be, it's, it's okay. Everything has to come to an end. I was 25 and I had such a deep desire the past couple years to just 
uh, travel. I, I was desperate to go back to Europe. I wanted to, I wanted to go back and study seriously. I wanted to do other things. And I had started doing um, quite a few video games and I was exploring with voice. And I thought, okay, this is my chance. This is my time. So that was when I kind of decided I, um, I'm going to leave and I'm, I'm going to go back to Europe. And I did. I went back, I went to, I went back to London, lived there for a while. And I, 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 I studied out there. I made absolute lifetime friends, the most incredible memories of my life. I went to Africa twice. Um, I studied French in, in France. These were all things that I, I wanted to do. And I knew the only way I'd be able to achieve these things was if I was completely free. So um, I took advantage of it um, and I continued acting. I, you know, um, I, uh, I did a movie in Thailand. I was out there for a month and, and I'm very, you know, in the end, I do think it was meant to be, I needed that time for myself to kind of develop into who I am now and kind of discover myself because all I had known was Young and the Restless. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. And it, it put me in a very vulnerable situation because I went back, I, I went to Europe by myself. I was completely alone and I had to kind of start fresh and meet people on my own and go through dark periods to get myself into higher periods. Um, so it was a very, very positive time of discovery and growth and, and, um, it was, it was a very enriching time for me. So it just all happened the way it was supposed to happen. Yeah. I mean, it sounds great. Yeah. Um, great. Now you also did fall into the world of video games and voiceovers, which kept you very busy before coming back to soap. So tell mm -hmm. us about that aspect of your career. Yeah. So that was kind of, um, a surprise in back in 2007 or eight, actually it was when I was still on Young and the Restless. Um, there was a break in between where they let me go for, I can't remember, three or six months or something like that. And so I tried to find my own work. And I remember um, seeing this thing where they were looking for an English actor who was brunette, who could maybe possibly resemble an actress that looked kind of like Kira Knightley. And I thought, okay, well, I mean, you know, I could possibly go out for that. And so I reached out and I said, you know, what's this for? And I didn't know much. They said, we want to take facial scans of you. And I went in, I think they paid me like a hundred bucks or something. And um, they took a load of photos of me and they stuck my head in this box that lights up. And I made all these funny expressions and I left and it was, you know, it was fun. I met everybody and everyone was great. And then they called me back and then they kept calling me back to do more of these scans. I had no idea what I was doing. And then one day they said, um, you know, we really like uh, how we work with you and the structure of your, your face and your ability to emote. Can we bring you in for this new thing? And I said, sure. And um, I found out later that I was uh, testing something that had never been done before. Essentially, what we did was I was the first face ever to do a markerless uh, performance capture. And essentially, that technology went on. I was, I was testing the, the, the technology for Benjamin Buttons, 
avatar and I had no clue. And it was all the genius work of uh, Paul de Bevec, who ended up winning a, a Golden Globe for his work. Um, so I fell in with, with this incredible group of people. And, uh, you know, I remember one day they took teeth molds and, and got more facial expressions of me. And later I found out that my face was the, the face of all the, the, the people in Grand Theft Auto that would get run over like that. Oh, watch out, watch out. You're going to hit that. That's my, my facial expressions. So I just naturally accidentally fell into it. Um, and I remember that when that video went up, it was like the third watched video of the day, it had just broken records. And next thing I know, they're flying me over to Germany and France to talk about it and my experience. And I had no clue what to say because they would ask me technological questions. I'm like, listen, I'm just an actor. They called me in here to do facial expressions. I, I don't know how to answer these questions. But that opened a huge door for me. Um, I, I remember I got invited to the Duchess of Angoulême's castle in, in France. And I'm sitting with her talking about this thing that I did, which was just this job that paid me a hundred bucks. And I'm <laughs> thinking, how on earth am I here right now? This is just the strangest thing. Um, and like the creators of Jessica Rabbit were there, or uh, yeah, Roger Rabbit, sorry. And um, all these incredible animators. And I thought, you know, this is, this is truly an experience of a, a lifetime to be part of this. Um, and, and meet these very talented people. And that just, that opened doors from there. I got an agent and uh, that's what I've been doing the past 10 years. I feel very, very, very blessed. Um, to be doing animation and video games and voice. So I, I still do it. I mean, I, every, if I'm, if I'm not working on days, I'm doing a video game, you know? So yeah, I love it. I, I'm, I'm very happy to be able to do both now. It's so incredible. And it also seems like in an odd way, such a nice fit with a little girl who was so enraptured by puppets. Yes, I know. How does that tie in with puppetry? My sock puppet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm thinking Pretty cool. Now. So, yeah. of course, um, you did end up coming back to daytime, and it seems like you had a couple brushes with that possibility along the way. Uh, I know that you were in contention in uh, 2017 for the role of Samira in General Hospital, who was the, the Turkish uh, woman who was passing herself off sort of as Quartermain's illegitimate daughter. What do you remember about that uh, potential casting? Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, I, I was so nervous because I hadn't, I hadn't heard anything from, from the daytime world in so long. Um, and I, I didn't think I was quite right for it because she's Turkish and I'm half Persian. Um, but regardless, it was so fun to go back in. And I, I remember walking in and I could see all these familiar faces on the walls and uh, pictures of people that I knew. I just wasn't right for that. But um, when did you say, I don't remember when that was. That was 2000. Ah, okay. I don't remember much about that. She didn't have to speak any Turkish either, I think, which is probably why they were able to bring me in. Mm -hmm. um, 
I don't know that I don't really look Middle Eastern though. I, I think I look more English. My sister looks much more Middle Eastern than I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you obviously stayed on Marnie's radar because you told me that you came in to read for the role of Sarah Horton, which went to Lindsay Godfrey. So what do you remember about reading for Sarah? Yeah, again, I was so nervous about that too. Um, I, I did a screen test with Greg Vaughn. I was shaking. I mean, it was just so crazy being up on the stage again and and again, like the familiarity comes rushing back and this, all this adrenaline filled me remembering what it's like to be on, on that set. Um, but ultimately I felt like I just wasn't right. Like I, I, I played the role the way I, I felt fit me and it was fine. But I mean, Lindsay, it just, she's so wonderful at, at playing Sarah. It just wasn't right for me and it's so right for her. So that was also meant to be the way that worked out. Yeah. So tell us how ultimately the job of, of Gwen did come about. Yeah. So um, my agent called me, I think that was September maybe of 2019 and uh he said marnie wants you to go in and it's for this role of a, a lawyer um and i can't remember her name was zoe maybe somebody had remembered the name recently yes, another know. zoe okay zoe yeah and um I thought, okay, all right, here we go, another role. So I went in and um, I guess what had happened was the actress had, had, had left or had to take another job or something. And so she wanted me to do it. And she, <laughs> she threw down like 12 scripts in front of me and she said, okay, here you go. You think you can have this memorized by next week? I almost had a heart attack. Cause remember I haven't been back in this world for 10 years. <laughs> and um, I'm used to like months of rehearsals now with games. Um, so I, I'm just panicking inside thinking, how on earth am I going to pull this off? And uh, uh, I went home and I just tried to clear my schedule for like the next week as much as I could. And um, I went to work and I mean, went to work on the scripts, I mean. And then I got called in to meet with Albert and the producer and to do a wardrobe fitting or something like that. And I came in and I see Marnie in the hall and, and she's being kind of quiet and like, mm, okay, you know what? Can you just wait here a minute? Uh, just, just, just wait here. And I sat in a chair outside of this office where she went in and spoke to Albert for like 15 minutes. And I'm hearing them on the phone, they're having phone calls and, and I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go again. This, this doesn't sound good. Something's had, they're, they're like going to choose a beautiful tall blonde <laughs> instead of me. Um, and finally Marnie opens the door and she goes, okay, Emily, come on in. Like with that kind of ominous tone. And so, um, I go in and Albert says, all right, sit down we've got some bad news and I just like feel this lump building in my throat. I'm like, Oh God. Okay. All right. Just hit me with it. And, uh, he says, yeah, so, uh, we've got bad news. You're not going to be playing Zoe 
but we have this new role named Gwen and we really want you to play her instead and we want her to be British. So there you go. <laughs> I'm like, wow. All right. And they're like, you can relax. You don't need to go memorize those 12 episodes. <laughs> You're going to have a month now to kind of gather yourself and, and get ready for Gwen. So yeah, that was a whirlwind. Um, and I remember going out in the hall and Marnie kind of pointed out Brandon Barash to me and uh, she's like you're gonna be working with him and and I kind of go up to him and like put my hand out like hi I'm, I'm gonna be working with you he looks at me like I'm crazy <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's how that happened well yeah. what did they tell you if anything about who Gwen was or anything about her backstory oh I really knew nothing I knew that she um, was kind of a mischief and that she was involved with Jake and that Jake was involved with the mob. Um, I knew that she was English. I knew very little things that I picked up from the couple scripts that I had that I was trying to kind of put together. Uh, I knew that she likes ketchup. I knew that she befriends Claire. I knew that she bites her nails when she gets nervous. Um, and I knew that it could be possible that she is not really crazy because, you know, the way I had uh, interpreted Gwen was that she is kind of <laughs> somewhat deranged, um, but she likes to play with people and, and keep everything ambiguous. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, not much. I knew very, very little. And I just kind of ran with what I had and then things developed from there and, now I think she's really evolved and in, in a very different place to where she was uh, over a year ago. Yeah. Um, when you think about how you first approached the characterization of Gwen versus how she has evolved, how has your approach to her changed or evolved along with, you know, the more information you've gotten about her? I think now um, she has a lot more humility because in the beginning, I thought she's completely reckless. She can come into this town and she's not afraid of anybody. She had scenes with Marlena in the beginning and, and she's kind of in her house and very just brash and, and, and honest and rude. And now I think that she has to, to swallow that back um, because she realizes that if she wants any sort of relationship or, or friendship or camaraderie with anybody that she's going to have to be vulnerable and step back a bit. So that's something I've, I've had to play with, which I was nervous about because you haven't really seen an emotional side to Gwen and a very uh, open side to her. And you're about to see a lot more of that. Um, yeah, so that's been that's been interesting to to play with and see kind of how that dynamic develops with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, your first co-star was Olivia Keegan. Um, mm -hmm. What were those scenes like together in the sanitarium? And did she give you any like lay of the lamb tips about days? Yeah, she was so wonderful and warm and welcoming. I mean, everybody really has been. Um, and she was she was ready for anything. You know, I I was kind of playing around with ideas. Do you mind if I do this? Do you mind if I do that? And she was so open for it. And if I did something that just kind of came voluntarily in, in the scene, she would go along with it. So I felt very comfortable working with her. And it's just such a fun, odd um, 
friendship, Gwen and Claire, something that you wouldn't normally think to pair together. Um, so those were enjoyable. I, I actually wished for more scenes between Claire and, and Gwen. Uh, yeah, they were fun. And she was just very uh, reassuring. I was, I was very nervous, as I said, that first day. But she's like, you've got this. Don't worry. We'll run it as many times as you like. And she's so sweet. Yeah. So you, uh, as you mentioned, it seems like you had an inauspicious first meeting with Brandon Barash on some level, but then you started mm -hmm. working with him more. So tell us about uh, Brandon and working with him. Yeah, I mean, again, I feel very lucky to be collaborating with this group of people. Brandon as well. He's also just, I, I said this in an interview the other day, he is also just ready to play. And when you know that, it keeps things very uh, fresh. And um, I, like, I like being in suspense and not knowing quite what will happen. He'll surprise me a lot and, and it throws me off. And I really like that. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not attached to where I have a rehearsal and, and every single time it's the same thing. And so we kind of got into this groove, tr just trusting each other and knowing that um, I could do something that he wouldn't know was coming, but then he would just throw it right back at me and it would keep it so fun and sparky, you know? So yeah, I, I, I really enjoy working with him. He's great. And I, I thought that, that Gwen and Jake had some nice fiery chemistry, you know, they, they just have this back and forth tug of, sex and fighting and sex and fighting and I want you and I hate you and and come here and no go away you know it's just so fun mm -hmm. um, well it became quickly clear that Gwen had some sort of axe to grind with Abigail um, mm. as well as the whole Devereaux family but um, what was it like to develop a dynamic with Marcy Miller <laughs> yeah she's wonderful um, she's just so she's such a she's so professional and uh, you know, she's so prepared um, and I really, really respect her as an actress. She, she's um, just so, so eloquent in the way that she works. And um, I, the same with her, I, f I feel like I could go out there with her and, and know that she'll have my back and um, I'll have hers. And um, yeah, um, I don't know. I'm trying to differentiate between when we were, we were working together pre-COVID and post-COVID because now it's so unfortunate we have to rehearse through Microsoft Teams so you don't get that like in-person um, bond, which I had, made, I had made with her in, in the beginning. I was able to confide in her a lot about my personal life and she's just such a, a, a wonderful listener and we have less and less of that now and it's more all, you know, most of the collaboration is done on, on stage. So I, I'm, I'm missing that. I miss, I, I, I can't even say I miss it because I didn't get much of it because I was so new, but I wish that I could have more of a, a connection with, with Marcy and Brandon and Katie and, and Matt, you know, so, but we're doing the best we can. Well, as, as part of, you know, mission takedown Abigail, Gwen, of course, mm -hmm. became in, entangled, uh, literally, uh, in the case of their recent tryst with Chad, mm -hmm. uh, played by Billy Flynn. Tell us about mm -hmm. the, the dynamic that you have with Billy. 
Yeah, Billy's great. He can't stop laughing when we do scenes together. He just he just gets the giggles to the point where sometimes we have to break a take because his his little lip will quiver and he has he has to look away. I don't know. We're just so it's just so silly. And sometimes I just I'll just pile it on so strong during rehearsals, you know, and play this overly creepy creep. Um, <laughs> That that just makes them feel all you know giggly and 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 funny and it, I don't know we just have we have a great time laughing together and once we get to the take we we we're like down to to serious business but no he's he's so much fun and um and and uh, I I love the way he works too because we'll we'll rehearse and he kind of saves everything for the take. So that's an element of surprise for me because when, when I rehearse with him, you know, I kind of do it the way I, I see it kind of going on the set on stage on the day, but he'll just kind of go through running the lines and then we get up there and, and he'll do something that I haven't seen. I go, Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, that's, that's a surprise to me, which again, keeps me on my toes and is, mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is really fun. So I, I love the way he works. Um, now the viewers just discovered what Gwen's secret is and it is that she is Jack's daughter. So mm. you told me you did a lot of preparation for those scenes, which were phenomenal, but tell us, you know, how you did prepare and how you felt about playing that moment. Uh, yeah, uh, that was, oh, it, I was so nervous about that too, because there was, me a first of all I put a lot of pressure on myself and I'm very critical of myself and I wanted this to be I wanted it to be justified I I wanted I wanted the audience to feel like they got the reveal that they were looking for and that everything was finally falling into place I mean this is a story that 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 audiences have been following for months um and it's the first time that you really get to see Gwen expose her herself. Um, and I didn't want it to just be, here it is, ta-da. I, I wanted people to empathize and kind of understand why. I mean, I'm not saying that her, any of her actions are validated by the drugging and all the turmoil that she, she created within this family. But I do want people to or at least I was aiming for, for people to see that, that all of Gwen's actions were stemming from a place of true uh, despair and that her upbringing was so, so horrible and, and she didn't have much of a childhood. Her, she was impoverished. Her mother passes away. You know, it's a, a, a really awful way to live a life and especially being brought up in a country where you're, you're not from. She's from Chicago originally, Peoria, and she's now brought up in a foreign place in England without anybody believing that her father has abandoned her. I mean, it's horrible if you put yourself in her position. Um, and so I just, I just stuck my whole head and my heart and my being into this script for, for three days. I, 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 you know, like Katie and Matt knew that, that it, it kind of, um, pushed on, on like a, a, a 
personal note a little bit, like resonated with me personally. So it was kind of difficult for me. And I think that's why I put so much pressure on it. And Matt was there for me. He would send me articles to, to read and Katie would tell me, you know, take a bath and Epsom salt really helps. And so I'd be in the bath with my script and I'd go on a walk with my script and I'd, you know, lay in bed with my script. I just wanted to completely immerse myself in it and see it differently every time I read it. And, and what came out on the stage was just totally authentic. And from me, um, and that's what I was aiming for. And so I am at peace with it because I know that I put everything into it as authentically as I, I possibly could because it was coming from a very uh, genuine and personal place. Yeah. Sharing a lot with you guys. <laughs> well, no, I, I thought, you know, Stephanie and I both thought it was a uh, really lovely, lovely work. Thank you. Appreciate um, that. <laughs> so I, I'm curious to know, like when you found out that this was the big secret and if you were surprised or if you expected it and what, you know, what your reaction was. Well, I had heard some things um, months ago, like maybe a couple months after I came onto the show, I'd heard possibly that I was Abigail's sister from Billy. And uh, I thought, oh, how, how on earth is that feasible or plausible? Um, and then I didn't hear anything about it for a long time until, uh, you know, Albert started dropping hints. And then I was able to see kind of the layers on and, and how this would weave together to make the, the, the story kind of come into fruition and, and have it go back so that it makes sense. So, yeah, um, I guess the surprise element for me was finding out the puzzle pieces where they all fit together and um, how, how that kind of made sense for, for Gwen to fit into this, this family. Mm -hmm. Well, I will say that one thing I felt those scenes did, and again, because you did such a good job in them, you really did feel for Gwen. I mean, you, seeing her perspective, like the story was there and the performance was there. So it really did sort of put Gwen in a different place, at least for me as a viewer, that I did get the sense of, oh, okay, I get why she is the way she is. Well, that's great to hear. That's what I was aiming for. Um, I know that not everybody's going to empathize with her, but I, I, was, I was hoping that at least some people would be able to, to see the, the, the pain that she's gone through, which doesn't, again, doesn't make her actions okay, but at least to understand, at least understand why she did them. So um, you know, thank you. Now, Myra and I talked about what it's like to play a character that maybe the entire audience doesn't like. Um, you know, are you someone who cares about that? Is it hard for you? Do you just tune that out? Yeah, that's been <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm not really a social media person, you know, but recently I've been getting messages and things saying like, oh, you're so awful. I'm like, okay, you, you know, I'm not Gwen. <laughs> I'm Emily. <laughs> I'm not going around ruining people's lives. If they could differentiate me between Gwen, it would be a lot easier to digest some of the things that people say. Um, but you know, yeah, I just have to, if, if, if things get a bit too snarky and they hit too close to home, I just kind of tune it out. I'm playing a role. I'm an actor and, uh, 
if you hate me, then I guess, then that means that I must be doing my job right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so in a way, you know, the truth coming out feels a bit like a reset for the character, you know, that one chapter closed and and a new one began, you know, as the actress playing the role of Gwen, where would you like to see her journey and her story go from here? Um, well, I think, I think from here, the only place to go now is resolution. I think that she's going to have to go through a cleansing where she apologizes for her actions and tries to um, resolve things that she's done in the past. And, uh, you know, Gwen is going to be Gwen, and I think that it needs to be kept interesting. So I would hope that she could perhaps create a bit of chaos, maybe not to the extent that she did before, but maybe something light and fun where, (laughs) you know, people's lives aren't being destroyed over it. But, um, yeah, I think that the next step is definitely going to be even more... um, vulnerability and just really trying to atone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I can say for a spoiler alert, Gwen's going to have a pretty big February. So people (laughs) will need to keep tuning in for this story. It's only going to get juicier. Um, And we thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us about your journey. It was really fun. Oh, good. Yeah. I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. And look forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, me too. I don't I don't know what happens really past uh, uh, next week in the <laughs> script. So I'm looking forward to it as well. <laughs> All right. Well, have a great day. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Emily O'Brien for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.